the functional movements, the understanding in your body just kind of opens the door to emotional intelligence. And the emotional intelligence opens the door to making positive changes in life. It's all connected, right? Hello, yogis, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dharma Talk. I'm your host, Henry Winslow, and this is episode number 62. This week on the show, my guest is a super yogi, a superhero of a yogi. But before we get into that, first, I want to say thank you and give a big shout out to my friend Deuce Bennett, previous guest on the show, episode 55. If you haven't heard that one, go check it out to hear a very inspiring story about addiction and recovery through yoga. But today, I just want to say thank you to him for making a donation to support the project. It's always appreciated. Every bit helps. And if anyone else would like to make a donation to support Dharma Talk, you can do that at henrywins.com slash Dharma Talk or dharmatalk.show. Those lead to the same place. Also, one other announcement before we get into this episode is Dharma Talk will be going on a brief break following this episode for two weeks because I'm headed off to a Vipassana course, a silent meditation for 10 days. And while I could definitely schedule some episodes to load up, I don't feel good about not being able to promote them. It's not fair to the guests. It's not fair to you. So enjoy this episode, and then I will be back with you on Thursday, June 20th. But today, you're going to hear from Hero Landazuri, the action hero. In this episode, Hero and I talk about the emotional impact of doing healing work on humans at the end of life and the heart-wrenching moment that made Hero walk away from his career in cardiac surgery forever. And that's what led him to start teaching yoga full-time. We also talk about functional movement as a door to emotional intelligence and ultimately to making positive changes in your life and what functional movement really means to him, how it integrates into a yoga practice. We chat about marrying a Western medical perspective with so-called yoga anatomy knowledge to make informed decisions not only as a teacher but also as a student. And finally, we talk about his own personal history of injury and using practice as a means toward rehabbing, moving away from aesthetic into feeling, and disrupting repetitive stress patterns. All of that is coming up very soon. Please just stay tuned through these announcements, and we'll dive into my interview with Hiro Landazuri. Yogis, I have plenty of events coming up, and I hope that you can join me for some of them. This Saturday... I am teaching backbending for health and joy at Yoga to the People, Brooklyn. June 22nd and 23rd, I'll be at Yoga to the People, St. Mark's to teach locks and keys to arm balancing and floating and purification practice, mantra, pranayama, and kriya for clarity. On June the 26th, I'm giving a benefit class to support Woodstock Sanctuary, a beautiful animal rescue shelter in upstate New York. That's a donation class, so come and give whatever you can. July 13th, I'm teaching the purification practice at Three Jewels. And then this summer, I'm helping out with two 300-hour teacher trainings. In June and September, with the Advanced Science of Self teacher training happening at Yoga to the People, 
And in July and August, the Jared McCann Yoga Teacher Training happening at Lighthouse Yoga School. Finally, I have two immersions coming up, October 3rd through 6th, a Lighthouse Yoga Immersion at Yoga East Austin in Texas. And October 25th through 27th, Veronica, my wife, and I are giving a weekend immersion at Shala Ananda Yoga in Bucerias, Mexico. Please head over to henrywins.com events to get more details and sign up. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Hiro Landazuri. Hero connected with yoga about 20 years ago to relieve injuries from running and was immediately drawn to the challenging and stress-relieving aspects of the practice. Since leaving a career in heart transplant surgery to pursue his passion for teaching yoga, Hero has gained a following for his anatomy-focused approach to teaching. He inspires people to understand their bodies better and find a deeper connection to themselves through a functional approach to yoga practice. Hero, the action hero. It's it's. I'm really pumped to have you on the podcast today. I'm glad that we were able to connect. How are you doing? Likewise, I'm I'm really honored honored to be here on this podcast. So thank you so much. Let's get started with the first question. This is generally the foundation for wherever our conversation will ebb and flow to. What does the word dharma mean to you? And what is your dharma as you understand it today? You know, it's interesting when I started out the yoga practice, I, I really definitely took the more traditional approach, um, setting into it, not just the physical practice, but the philosophy. And um, relatively recently, it's changed. And, you know, from my understanding, it's it's like the cosmic law and order or, or the like the moral fiber of, of this universe or this life or, or something like that. And for me, it's almost like in a way, like I understood intellectually the words, but how I could relate it into my own life, I struggled with it a little bit. So for me now, it really just is about getting back into your true self, your true self being who you are before all those limiting beliefs, before any of these uh, maybe institutionalized beliefs that we have to live a certain way, we have to uh, be a certain way. And if we all just get back to what we really want, which is love, and to give love and receive love, then um, yeah, I think that's what we're all underlyingly working towards. Right. Yeah. It's like we all have different paths toward the same ultimate goal, which, as you put it, is love. I think that's really true and, and beautiful. Yeah. What are some of these limiting beliefs that are in- institutionalized or ingrained in our thought patterns that tend to get in the way of that in your experience? Um, definitely when it comes to career path, that's like the very first thing that comes to mind. And it, it's almost like I get it. It's not like, oh, we're 
bad people for thinking that we had to have certain jobs. It definitely was uh, something that was more common in the in the older generations, right? Internet wasn't that much available. Like I remember the World Wide Web coming out when I was a child. Um, and but what that opened up for us was the possibility to really do anything that you want because um, you could build a, a, a stable financial income doing anything that you want and sharing your ideas. So I think. I grew up having this belief that the only way or the best way that I could uh, make a difference in this world uh, and make an impact is through medicine because I enjoyed science and um, I was good with my hands. So surgery seemed like the right fit, even though on a day to day, I did not like the hours. I did not like the energy, the environment. And there were elements of Western medicine that I didn't completely agree with. Um, but I just assumed that's the way life goes. And this is the best that's available for me. Uh, with that said, now it's, it's, you can really mix and match and hybridize anything. You can take elements from Western medicine. You can take, uh, elements from Eastern medicine. You can take something like yoga or just, just speaking into the physical asanas of yoga. You can take some of the traditional practices and some of the science evidence-based things from anatomy and physiology and combine the two and create something that is going to be functional for someone, for example. Totally. Yeah. Um, and you can create something that's novel in a way that potentially in an older generation without the internet, you'd be speaking to a very small pocket of people and not enough to be able to make a living or even create a larger, large enough impact to fulfill you. But now, as you said, with the age of technology and the internet, World Wide Web, we have the ability to connect with people from far reaches of the world. And that makes really anything possible. I agree with you 100% on that. And I think it's a total blessing that we live in that age. Yes, absolutely. So did you go through the full training, like four years medical school, residency, internship, and all of that in, in cardiology? So the program that I was in was actually a dual, dual master's program in cardiopulmonary perfusion, and that deals specifically with open heart bypass surgeries and transplants, as well as uh, a degree in medical pharmacology. And um, there's only four schools in the U.S. that offer cardiopulmonary perfusion, and my school, University of Arizona, University of Arizona only accepted four people a year. So I took that opportunity instead of going the traditional MD route because you started out your clinicals from, from day one. So it was, it was super intensive and um, yeah, it was, it was a great in experience in retrospect. Um, but I definitely, I mean, listen, like ever since I was a child, I was like, sure that I was going to be a surgeon. I was going to be in the medical field and that was my path. And then when I got there, um, I really didn't like it. I, I really, and, and I jokingly say that I blame it on the yoga because in order to do your job really well, you do, you do have to dissociate in a lot of ways um, from seeing the person uh, as a person. You have to see him as a patient. Yeah. Um, especially when something like open heart bypass surgery, that's like your last ditch effort and things go wrong all the time. 
absolutely like not even by the fault of the doctor it's just the state of the human body at that point mm -hmm. and for me i had a really hard time not seeing the patient as a as a patient and i saw him as as a as a human as a person especially speaking into transplant surgery what i did was uh, procurement so if someone got into let's say like a car accident or something and they're a donor and they're brain dead but their body is still alive we would come in and take their organs out and um you know before we do that we'll say if it's a child like a 13 year old child the mother will write a letter to her daughter and be like, you're the best daughter that I had. Thank you for giving me 13 years. And I hope whatever comes next, you're in a happy place. And just little letters like that really got to me. And I try to shut it down and um, I had a hard time doing it and, and it felt wrong doing so. So, so I think that took a toll on me after several years or a few years. And uh, finally, when I, when I lost a patient myself, when I was soloing a surgery, and it was really because I was up for 30 some hours and I was in the OR for like close to 30 hours. Uh, I did one of those little head nods and my finger moved like maybe not even a millimeter. And um, I blew out the patient's grafts to their heart and uh, the patient died. And, um, we have something called an M&M, a morbidity and mortality meeting. And in that meeting, they go over what went wrong in that surgery, how to prevent that in the future, moving forward. And they ruled out that, that it wasn't, it wasn't my fault. It, it's one of those things where we sat there and talked for several hours and it was going to happen to the patient regardless. But I had a hard time not taking responsibility for what happened because it was a seven hour surgery and the patient died when I did a little head nod. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I've, I've fully let that go to be completely candid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. This is, I mean, this it. is heart wrenching stuff when you said that, I mean, I just, yeah, I felt my own heart just sink. And I can only imagine, you know, this is just one of many impressions that was left on you dealing with people at this stage of, of life and death and the transition. And yes. as you put it, you know, it's like, you don't really want to have to turn off that emotional connection, but you have to functionally speaking, sustainably speaking, if you're in that line of work and doing it day in, day out, or else you, you run out of steam. You can't, you can't continue on. Yeah. And the kind of relationships, I mean, look, if you think that that doesn't affect your relationships outside of the workplace, that's, that's just a lie. You know, um, I, I don't think it's fully, fully possible to just turn your humanity off and turn it back on. Right. So when that happened, I went home and I just kind of got smacked in the face with reality about the kind of relationships I was fostering and they were slightly disconnected. They were uh, surface level. There was an element of sadness and just, um, for me at the time, it was more like I accepted that this comes with the job, you know, working really long hours and being exhausted emotionally, physically at the end of the day. And then I was like, is this how I want to live for the rest of my life? And 
the answer was no. So I just packed my things and left Arizona and moved back to Los Angeles. Just absolutely crushing the limiting beliefs. But sometimes it yeah. takes getting to that point, you know, where you're really tested. We, yes. We're going deep early here, Hero. <laughs> I appreciate you not holding back. Um, I guess that's not. the lesson that you learned from, from having those relationships that had a sheet up in between you for so long. Yes. So, okay, now that you are doing full-time yoga and, and functional movement, how have you incorporated that past experience into what you're practicing and what you're teaching? Are you doing backbends all day to keep your heart open? What's the, what's the deal? <laughs> so uh, one thing that really, really came to me was I, I studied Ashtanga for about six years when I got started doing yoga and, and then practiced, you know, for over a decade after that. But one thing I came to realize, and, and I'm not knocking Ashtanga, like I absolutely love it because of the dedication aspect of it and the mindset of it. But there is a lot of people practicing yoga now who are basing their self-worth to a degree on how well they can do a pose. And Instagram does not help with that at all. So yeah. essentially you have people putting themselves into shapes, thinking that they are becoming a better yogi, a better person, physically better, when that might not be the case, that might be the case. But what is definitely going to be the case is if you start building some intelligence around what moves your knee over your ankle in a warrior two, right? And what are some other movements that you do with your knee on a day to day basis off the mat? So having that understanding, having it come from a place of like, okay, this is what I'm feeling. This is the muscle that's dictating this movement. And then for whatever else you're doing, whether it's dancing or just walking, you can start to feel that same muscle group and start to understand how you move. So really what I, what I tried to do was make it less about the aesthetic of the pose and aesthetic of um, yoga, the physical asanas and have it draw back towards the feeling and the understanding as a way to get deeper connected to yourself. Um, and really, I don't, I don't think I've talked about this all that much in other podcasts, but uh, the whole purpose of this is the, the functional movements, the understanding in your body just kind of opens the door to emotional intelligence and the emotional intelligence opens the door to making positive changes in life. It's all connected, right? So if you put yourself in an environment where you're constantly choosing discomfort, not pain, just choosing to do something different than your habits, and you keep doing that all throughout your day, that's when you're going to set yourself up for success for making positive changes in your life. Uh -huh. And that's, that's the goal. It, like, ultimately, that's, that's the goal of what I'm trying to do here. Right. So there's this functional component that's physical and setting you up to be able to be mobile, you know, do the things outside of your yoga practice, provided that you have a life off, off the mat, which I think most people do. <laughs> and then there's also this idea of, you know, the emotional intelligence behind how you're going about the things that you're doing. And, and to bring it back, to loop it back to your initial counterpoint around something very structured like Ashtanga, where you're hitting the same sequence over and over again, maybe coming up against a brick wall, that discipline is a little bit different. That discipline and discomfort of doing it over and over again and being frustrated versus 
consciously making a decision to enter this pose in this way. Is that right. fair? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So tell me about your, um, how you came to this point. Like, did you get to a point with your Ashtanga practice where it was like, this is no longer serving me? How did you make this transition out of a traditional classical practice into something a little bit more newfangled and unique to you? Well, uh, I, 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 I'm laughing because it's actually, it wasn't on the yoga mat where I, I started to have this realization, but it was <laughs> a friend and I were walking outside somewhere. And I honestly don't remember where, but there were two choices, right? There was a ledge in front of us. We could either hop over and it was only like a two and a half, three foot ledge. It wasn't high. I'm, I'm close to six feet. Literally all you had to do is just kind of like, you know, throw a leg over, throw the other leg over, and then you're done. And my friend, he's, he's more of a mover. So he just put his hand down and hopped over this little ledge and then kept going. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I practice Ashtanga, I can throw my leg behind my head, I can do, you know, press handstands, all of it. I put my hand down on this ledge and I like tripped and I couldn't get over this tiny little ledge. And I was like, what, what is happening? Like I've, every time I get on my mat, I'm, I feel confident. I feel yeah, strong. Yeah, I've done 10,000 jump backs, jump throughs, what's the deal? <laughs> right, right. I can press into a handstand. What do you mean I can't get over this ledge? And that kind of sparked it from there that initiated it because there were other moments too where if i was like dancing with a friend and all of a sudden i, I found myself having trouble in these in-between movements right where in yoga you're either in this like twisted closed position you're in this neutral position or you're in this open position and the transition to those different poses is it's not really thought about it's more about okay getting into the pose and then getting deeper into the pose Mm -hmm. And when I found myself in these transitions, like, for example, just take arms, for example, warrior two, your arms are straight out to the sides, um, crescent pose, your arms are straight up. But what about all the in between? We have such a huge range of motion in our shoulders. What if I had this question of what if my shoulder could be strong as it's behind my back with my palm facing up? Like if I could build strength with my arm being that way, then I, and I have strength everywhere else in between, then I'm going to feel confident 24 hours out of the day with how I move, uh, re regardless of what I'm doing. So that's mm -hmm. kind of like the basis of this whole functional movement, being able to move however you want to, whenever you want to, whether you're like 40 minutes into a yoga practice or it's 50 degrees outside and you just had a giant lunch. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. I buy it. Okay. So, so let me, let me bite on this. Give yeah. me an example of how you would do something like that and incorporate into a yoga class. Like how do you get into the full range of motion of the shoulder in a way that isn't so static and okay, now we're at 90, now we're at 180. Right. Um, so, Okay. Uh, good question. I think, I think for people like you and me who have a very strong basis of a practice coming into something like warrior two with the arms out, um, you don't really feel anything. And I've heard arguments of like, well, if you hold it deeper and longer then you'll feel something, but the same is true. If I just literally hold my index finger out for a really, 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 really long time, 
Yeah, it doesn't mean that's what we want to do, how we want to spend our time. Exactly, exactly. So um, what I'll do instead in a warrior two is I'll cactus out my arms, hold tension everywhere in the body except for this shoulder rotation, and I'll find external rotation as deeply as possible and internal rotation. Um, and the, the important part to the tension is you're – you're not trying to just hold your breath and go as hard as you can because that that isn't yoga. It's putting in the effort and keeping your breath and your mind calm, right? right? And I think the same is true for emotional intelligence or making changes in your life. Any kind of change is uncomfortable, right? Like if you're trying to train for a marathon and you've never run in your life, like that first quarter mile half a mile mile is a struggle it always is so what this does is it trains you to stay calm in your mind and your body even though you're exerting effort and and i think that's a piece that isn't really covered especially with the newer teachers these are important points to consider for sure yeah yeah in the in the process of creating your system if we want to call it that maybe it's maybe that's not fair to say maybe you would use another word but in in creating this way of teaching and and sharing it out with people what sort of challenges have you come up across are you meeting students who really resist this and want to tell you that you have to do it the old way yes absolutely of course and i and i knew it was coming because i had that same resistance when i was deep in my ashtanga practice as well Mm -hmm. like the justification is this feels good. I feel more open after 90 minutes. So who are you to tell me that this is wrong? Until like I started studying more into the science of, of the body and something like repetitive stress syndrome came up, which is pretty much if you're doing the same movements and just those movements repetitively, like even if you have really, really good alignment or perfect, quote unquote, perfect alignment, um, there's still a possibility of injury. So what does that say? That, well, it says that even if you do things correctly, you could still get injured. So then the fix would be to make sure that you're capable of doing all different kinds of movements, even if that means breaking whatever traditional alignment that you were told by someone that you should you should be in, right? Like, Who's to say that I know there's also another thing, sorry, I'm kind of going off on a rant, but like doing a vinyasa flow from like a closed to open position or open to closed position is not good for your hips. If I mean, if that's the case, then you shouldn't ever be walking forward and then make a left turn. With <laughs> right leg yeah. Like yeah. it just doesn't make sense. Like I want to be able to make a left-hand turn whenever I want. And I want to do it in a way where I understand my body. You're talking about something like going from a warrior one straight into a warrior two. Right, right. Yeah, which is a funny argument to make considering like even the dogmatic Ashtangi does that in primary series. Right, right. But yeah, I've heard that too. I've definitely heard that. So, and and I think a lot of us, it's it's not so much negligence as it just is like you, you just don't know. But you have someone that you respect who tells you this and then you're like, okay, I'm going to go with it. Like Mm -hmm. I respect this teacher and his practice is great. And 
practice of yoga, not just physically, is great. So therefore, I'm going to listen to this. But I think if we just ask the question, why? for just about anything. And then you just do a little bit of digging yourself, especially having access to the internet. <laughs> you can pretty much look up anything, you know? And um, if you just dig a little bit deeper, you'll start to see, okay, there's some inconsistencies with some things. And then, you know, that just opens up the conversation for building more knowledge as opposed to coming from a place of ego of like, this is the way to do it. Right, right. right. And I think that's a, that's a deeper lesson in there too. It's like, yes, it's important to have a teacher and a teacher can help you tremendously in guiding you on the path and giving you direction. But ultimately you have to take accountability for your own decisions and your own practice. And that's what this right. is all about. It's like feeling and understanding and, and being willing to, to change. Yeah. And, and to speak into your question a little bit more, uh, the other resistance that I get is from some of the teachers who are a little bit more respected and it's almost like an insecurity um, for, for what I have to offer around like anatomy stuff. And it's because they dedicated so many hours and so much money into um, learning anatomy uh, yoga-based anatomy. And I was like, look, like, instead of resisting, instead of fighting me on this, like, understand that a, a yoga teacher training, you invest a few thousand dollars. Like, I invested well over a quarter million dollars. Like, I never thought I was going to teach yoga. Like, my life was going to be surgery. So I invested over a quarter million dollars into just learning about the body. So why don't we, like, collaborate instead of just argue yeah know? yeah right this is a good point um so w what is the difference between um yoga anatomy and i guess harder science anatomy what are some of the things that you see coming up as being contradictions or conflicts or arguments between those two um those two worlds Oh man, great, Ooh, great question. So, I mean, there's pluses and minuses to, to both. For example, in medicine, we're so focused on what's wrong and how do we fix it. And there's an element of soul that's being missed. There's an element of this is a person that's being missed and you're just looking at the ligaments, the tendons, the bones, right? The muscles. So with the yoga, on the other hand, I, I almost feel like we set our own limitations because we're like, okay, let me take a warrior one, warrior one, I know I'm supposed to have neutral hips. So therefore, based off that, then I look at the anatomy. So, but what, what if someone's pelvis is slightly off? What if they have a slip disc or what if their anatomy, not their physiology, but their anatomy, they were just born differently. Then what do you, what do you do then? having a neutral pelvis would actually create more imbalance, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I, I think, I think it is more of an art than just like, okay, here's what's good about science, here's what's good about yoga, and then combining the two, it's, it's definitely a little bit of playing around. And it does take a little bit more, um, like one on one individual looking at but if you if you get the foundation of like, okay, here's how the tendons, ligaments, muscles and bones work and here's like an outline 
And also like, here are some of the movements in yoga. Let's get rid of this thought that your hips have to be completely square. Your knee needs to be over your ankle and warrior two. Um, and just look at what are the muscle groups that are working to dictate even getting into that pose and staying there. Then I think that's where, that's what I'm trying to go for. Mm -hmm. So it all of a sudden doesn't become about what do you look like? And it actually becomes a personal practice about feeling, which is something that us yoga teachers are constantly saying, you know, and it can't ever be about feeling if you're saying, put your knee over your ankle, mm -hmm. you know? You have a room of, of, of 50 people, that's going to feel good for 35 people. And then the rest of the 15 are going to be like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. Right? What I like about everything that you're saying is that there is a connection between how you are thinking about teaching and what you're asking the students to do, which is basically ask yourself why for everything, right? You know, you have access to the knowledge from your medical schooling, and you have access to the knowledge from your yoga schooling. And it's not, a, it's not a formulaic um, decision making process, like there is every single time you got to choose. And it's, you ultimately have to ask yourself, why am I making the decision that I'm making as a teacher and as a student? So right. yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not saying that any other modality of yoga is wrong. I'm not, but it really just does come down to, see, I start off my classes speaking into when you drop down into your mat, make it about what's possible and make it about self-exploration and get excited about learning new sensations. I feel like when we experience new sensations, we immediately try to label it as good or bad, right or wrong, right? But those things are just our own interpretations. The sensation that we feel is just information. It's just feedback, right? So moving forward, you can either choose to grow or just say, oh, this isn't good. This doesn't feel good. Therefore, it must be wrong, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and stay within your little comfort zone because that's your comfort zone is not where growth is ever. Yeah. And what feels wrong might just feel, actually, it feels new. Right, exactly. Exactly. Have, you spoke a little bit earlier about repetitive stress syndrome, um, which can come up from doing the same things over and over again, repeatedly, mm -hmm. repetitive. Mm -hmm. um, have you faced any of that yourself? Uh, of course, definitely, definitely. I tore my LCL, which is my uh, ligament on the outside of the knee, in Ashtanga. Uh, getting my leg behind my head. And this was after I've already incorporated that into my practice for years. Um, and I was putting my leg behind my head, just like I always do. And then all of a sudden, I hear a really loud pop, and my foot goes way behind my head, like basically pointing back towards the back of the room. Whoa. And I come out of it. And I'm like, Oh, crap. <laughs> So I went and got an MRI and sure enough, I tore my LCL and I practiced in the knee brace for about two years, maybe longer, couldn't sit cross-legged on the floor. And I was like, that's it. Like I can never practice the same way again until, until one day I was like, you know what? I'm probably never going to put my leg behind my head, but let me just see what is available. Let me see if I can rehab this knee. Because that was also paired with waking up every single day with pain in my body. 
And um, this was when I was practicing Shanga. I, I could get on the mat. And when I'm on the mat, I can do everything and feel strong. As soon as I'm off the mat, like literally rolling up the mat, walking out of the room, I start limping. And I was like, this yoga practice is supposed to support my life as a whole. But I find myself like valuing my physical ability, my confidence just on the mat. Mm. Right? And the rest of the 23 hours, I'm hobbling around and limping. Like, that's not why I do this practice. That isn't why I started to do this practice. Yeah, it feels a little backwards. It is. So that was that was my experience, along with, like, uh, dislocated shoulders, tore my external rotators in my shoulders. I have a slip disc from someone giving me an adjustment too hard in a hollow back. Um, and I still live with that every day. But, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really get me down because I'm not looking at defining what my practice is or my self-worth based on how deep I can get into a backbend. It's, it really just is like, okay, how can I rehab this? How can I move and also move my practice further? And that that excites me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there is no, okay, I I have to hit this pose and it has to look this way. It's not about that. Yeah. Like you said, it's about how do you feel and how can you, how can you optimize? How can you improve the way that you feel using postures and transitions as tools rather than goalposts? Right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. so here, tell me about something that you, you've got going on now that you want to share with our audience, maybe um, anything that you're teaching coming up, something online perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I, I have been working with, I mean, look, before I cut into that, uh, I, I know social media is, is kind of one of those, like you're either on one end, you think it's great, or the other end where you think it's causing so much insecurity in people. And I think both are true. Um, I do think there are people, especially in our industry, who are really making a push towards reframing mindset, uh, not having it be about, hey, look at me doing a pretty pose, but for me, what I really try to do is I try to set up my page to a photo of what's possible and what's available and a tutorial for how you can work towards that, right? And it gets a little tricky because I don't want it to be about the pose. Like I don't want it to be about, hey, eventually you'll do this pose, but it, it, it kind of is like like enticing people to to try on a new hat and to try right? And to try it in a smart way. So that's, that's my goal. What that is leading to is at the end of this year, I am, I, I filmed about like 700 videos. And what I did was I took as many of the yoga poses that I could find. And I just restructured all of them for functional yoga for functional flow. And what I speak into is like, don't worry about your knee being over your ankle, like start to feel your hamstring, start to feel your glute, start to see what that does to your knee, and then go into your warrior two. So basically, it's it's sort of like an encyclopedia, I haven't thought of a name of it yet. But um, it's it's like a asana encyclopedia, sort of like a teacher training manual, I plan on teaching teacher trainings next year or the following. Um, right on. So, so hopefully, hopefully that really starts to shift people 
into thinking about feeling as opposed to aesthetic. And that's what drives me every day to put out content on Instagram, on YouTube, um, the purpose, my purpose driven energy is, is to really get people to reframe, mm -hmm. reframe off of the aesthetic and just making this serve their life instead of valuing their self-worth based on the poses that they could hit. Functional flow. Functional flow. <laughs> That's, that sounds like a, a major undertaking to put together that encyclopedia of poses. Not only, you yeah. know, from like a project standpoint of actually creating the piece, but also from a research standpoint of going through all the postures and, and rethinking them. I'm sure that's something that you've been doing over the years, but even so yes. to, to bring it into a culmination like that, did you find any new lessons for yourself in the process of making it? Um, yes, yes. When I started filming these, I, I went really in depth, really in detail. And I really like from the perspective of, I want to provide as much value to the person as possible. And, um, I, I had this thought of like, man, maybe my, I'm a little skewed. I'm a little skewed here because I did invest a ton of money, time and energy into the medical field. Maybe I don't have a good grasp on, on what it's like for someone to experience one of these videos who hasn't been through medical school or college. So I, I had to, I had to go back and and have conversations with a lot of people uh, from a lot of different backgrounds, from a lot of different fields. And then that's when I came back and restructured the videos in a way that was going to be palatable mm. that. I don't know if that's the right word, but something where it's going to be like, okay, they feel like they're doing something and they're gaining a little bit of knowledge. And that, that was hard for me. That was hard for me because I'm, I'm so passionate about this that I want to give all the information at once to someone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, to really, I wouldn't call it restraint. It's more so understand empathetically where someone else is. Um, and, understand that communication any form of communication isn't about what you're trying to say it's about what the other person understands yeah um like for example there's data around if you say 10 things people are only going to remember three out of ten which means that you as a yoga teacher if you give 10 cues they're only going to remember three so instead of giving 10 cues why don't you give three repetitively and that way at least one at least one hopefully all will stick and that 90-minute class, that 60-minute class is going to be much more effective communication-wise for your student understanding this one concept um, than giving a bunch of different cues. And then when they come back to class, you can tackle the next cue. Right. That way, their progress is very efficient. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm seeing in my students. That's a good tip for the yoga teachers listening. It, right. it requires that you have patience, though. You got to play the long game and be willing to invest time in with your students. Because, I mean, it's crazy to think that you'd be able to convey all of the knowledge that you've developed in your practice over however many years you've been practicing and distill it down into a single class, even though that's what we all want to do. <laughs> right, right. And, and we all do it. And it comes from a place of love because we love what we do and we love connecting with people. And I get it. Yeah. But understanding that it's it's not about that if if your bigger vision is to really take this person and elevate their mindset elevate their bodies and set those two things up to help them make changes positive changes in their life and other people's lives um 
then you really need to stay connected with that bigger vision, that bigger goal, mm-hmm. and and not be attached to what that path, what that journey looks like. Right, right. So doing this project, doing this on Instagram, that that has been, I think, the biggest overarching lesson that I've been learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't come from the same uh, medical background as you, but I think that I do have a very similar natural frame of mind as you, meaning that I'm like very analytical and I do think about things in that way. Like I want everything to be stepwise and I want to understand yeah. every piece logically and something that I'm learning in my teaching and working on quite a lot. And I think to to positive results is is giving people more space, honestly, just to be in silence and meditation in their practice, because what that's all about is giving people the opportunity to internalize and feel it out themselves. One hundred thousand million percent. I I agree. (laughs) At the end of class, I always, always say, hey, the alignments, the technicals, they're all great. They're just tools. What this practice is about is connection to you, like the real you us, without the limiting beliefs. So sit there and feel. Be in your Shavasana, be in your seated meditation and just feel. Feel your heartbeat. Feel the information that's coming in and without judgment. So I, I 1000% agree with you. <laughs> cool. Um, well, I will put in a little plug for you that um, Hero is going to be coming to teach at Lighthouse Yoga School, where I teach a lot of classes in Brooklyn, New York. That's coming up in um, the last weekend slash first weekend weekend of September. So we're really excited to host you there. I'm, I'm looking forward to that a lot. Hero, a- apart from getting your message out on the podcast with me, what are you doing today to live your dharma? Oh, great question. Um, actually, I still hold on to a lot of uh, the habits that I had when I was in medicine, this kind of perfectionism, this hustle hard attitude. So today I'm focused on balance. And in that balance, it is not so much just, okay, I'm going to work and then not work, right? This is all, what is my bigger vision? What am I trying to accomplish? And it, it, it is happiness, but it's not just about happiness. It is about living what I'm preaching. And um, I don't have it completely figured out most days, which is totally fine. Like we're all human, but I really do need to step into it if I'm going to be preaching this stuff. So for me today, it is going to be taking a step back connecting with some friends, some family, and doing some self-care, and also editing some videos for mm-hmm. Instagram. That's the balance aspect. Yeah. We don't have to be there, but we need to be working on it. That is the practice. Yes. Hero, now is the time to move on to the final section of the interview. This is what I like to okay. call the prana round. I'm going to ask you six rapid fire questions and ask oh. you to answer <laughs> minimum one word, maximum one sentence. Okay. Okay. All right. In one word, why do you practice yoga? In one word. Sorry, that I failed. You said rapid fire and I just totally paused. Okay. To be fair, the first word that came up was love. Great. Love. Self-love. Self-love. Yeah, that's hyphenated. So that's one word. Yeah. Okay. Second question. What's your favorite yoga pose and why? 
handstand, empowering. What's the single best cue or piece of advice that you've ever received from one of your teachers? Get out of your head. Recommend one book, either modern or ancient, for our listeners. Oh, man. This isn't a good question. <laughs> I'm sorry. This Not that the question isn't good. I don't have a good answer. <laughs> I don't really read books all that much anymore. I feel like I can get so much more information uh, and concisely if I listen to something like Blinkist, right? Or oh, yeah. uh, if... if if I watch like a YouTube or something, I, I'm just so much more visual. So when someone is talking to me, I feel that connection so much more. So I've actually tried to get back to books, but I just, I just, you know. No, I appreciate that answer. You are yeah. uh, you're a functional, efficient, practical type of person. So <laughs> for those who don't know, Blinkist is like a service or a subscription, I think that you can have that gives you summaries of books, right? Right. But it, okay, it's so that you have something. Um, the last one that I read was something uh, was was by Tony Robbins. I, I really do think his work is is great. I I like Tony, Tony Robbins. Robbins. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, next question: Is yoga for everyone? Yes. And our last yes, question: definitely. How can our audience get in touch with you, and how can we support you in your dharma? Oh my god! Thank you. Um, Action Hero, Heroes, H-I-R-O on Instagram, same as on Facebook, and Hero Land Missouri or Action Hero on YouTube. If you can just come and just, just try, just try some of the exercises without any expectation of yourself, that is how you can support me. Just try out some of these exercises. Right on. I think everybody listening can do that, can go in and try. So um, Hiro, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to meet you in person in not too long. Likewise. So we'll continue this conversation in Brooklyn. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much, Henry. I appreciate it. Hey, Dharma Talk community. If you enjoyed this podcast and you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button right now. And if you'd like to show your support even more, leave me an honest review on iTunes or whatever podcast directory you listen on. You can also make a financial contribution to keep the show up and running, a donation at henrywins.com. And remember, I'm here to serve you. So if you have any questions or comments or ideas, you can always reach me on Instagram at 